The good life. The good life. <laughs> what a weirdo. All right. Um, yeah, so the good life, I really wanted, when Jeremy and I were talking about graphics, Jeremy did the graphics for this, and, and I really wanted like an Easter bunny, actually the Energizer bunny sitting on the beach with sunglasses. And I just said, you know what, there's not, there's not really involved in that the reason that we're actually celebrating Easter. So let's not do that. But anyway, that's the idea. Uh, I love the neon. Um, it's Resurrection Day, y'all. It's a good day, right? Amen. Um, it is a good day. It is good to be here worshiping, celebrating with y'all. Um, I think I decided last year that Easter is my favorite holiday. Like, uh, I don't know if that's just a function of not getting very many Christmas gifts anymore, and now I gotta buy them, what's that about? Um, or I'm just getting older, and so my birthday is just another day. Uh, I hope, though, I hope that I'm actually maturing and recognizing more and more that this day is more significant than any other day in all of history. Um, and uh, so I'm realizing that more and more, and it really is my favorite day, favorite holiday. Um, clearly, as we celebrate Easter, there are family dinners to be had, and there are Easter egg hunts to be done, and there are chocolate bunnies. Uh, and of course, the best food at Easter is what? No. Reese's eggs. Come on. Let's... More peanut butter per ratio of chocolate. Christmas trees are second behind that. Anyway, all right. Um, but the reason for celebrating has absolutely nothing to do with bunnies that lay eggs, right? Okay, what's that about? Um, it has everything to do with Christ and with Jesus and the fact that he died for you and me, but that he didn't stay that way, right? Um, and so he rose from the grave, and because he rose from the grave, we have the good life in front of us, right? The good life. Um, because of the resurrection, and only because of the resurrection, you and I have the resurrection. Those of us, or excuse me, have the good life. Those of us that are born again, those of us that have uh, life in Christ, it is the good life. And I know that as I say that, uh, there's all kinds of people who are going to go, well, you know what? My life doesn't feel very good right now. And, uh, and maybe it did at one point, but now is not that time. So how can you say we have the good life? Um, and that's what I want to talk about in this series, right? Uh, maybe the good life doesn't mean that life is always great. It's more than that, right? So I really want to get at that idea. And I really want, as we think about this, I, I, wanna, I wanna, want you to ask that question, right? What, what does it mean when I hear the good life? Do you imagine sitting on the beach with sunglasses all the time? Is that the good life for you? I, I was listening to a podcast, and there was a guy inter, uh, being interviewed, and he was an actor, um, and he said, uh, he just, he, they were saying, you know, talking about this idea of the good life, and he thought he made it, and he was sitting in the pool, uh, and, and he had a drink in his hand, and he was floating in the pool, and he's like, now I've made it. This is the good life. And he said about two songs in to the, the record that was playing, he realized, now what are you going to do, right? So maybe that's not the good life, right? Maybe there's something more than that. So we're going to talk about that. What do you expect? What do you think of? But today is obviously Resurrection Day, Resurrection Sunday, and so we're going to be looking at the resurrection, and we're going to be celebrating this thing, okay, because it is absolutely worth celebrating, because I hope as we talk about it today that you recognize or that you come to grasp or, or whatever, uh, come to terms and, and grasp the idea that the resurrection is the mechanism, 
okay? The resurrection is, is the doorway. It is, it is the, the means by which we come to life and we enter into the good life, okay? And that's why for me it's so important that it's a real thing, right? It's not just a metaphor. It's not just something that, that we, we believe. It is a real deal that this thing actually happened. Um, and it's not something that the disciples just made up, right? Because they weren't ready for this Jesus ride to be over. They wanted to keep it going, right? It's not just, listen, these guys, those guys, I think 11 out of 12 of them were murdered, right? Martyred, dead. Because they continued to believe this thing and because they based their lives off of it, um, Peter, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. He wasn't one of the 12, but you get it, right? Paul was beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was stabbed to death. James was clubbed to death. Thomas was speared to death. Matthias was burned to death. Simon, Bartholomew, Philip were all killed in a, very, in a non-specific way or in ways that we don't know. So did they really just make this thing up? What did they have to gain by keeping it going? Pride? Like, I didn't want to admit that we were wrong about Jesus, so we're just going to keep this thing going? No. I don't think so, right? It's more than that. It's more than that. This absolutely happened. This is not just a story. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to read about this whole resurrection thing. And we're going to start before that, because even before the resurrection happened, what we're going to see, before the resurrection ever happened, there were people planning to not believe it. All right? Isn't that crazy? There were people who were denying its reality before it ever happened. So Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 62, we're going to read there. It'll be up on the screen. Find it in your Bible too. I promise it's there. Um, Here it is. Ready? Now on the next day, that is the day which is after the preparation. Okay, pause. That just means it's Saturday. It's the Sabbath, right? Jesus was crucified on a, on a Friday. That is the day of preparation. You prepared for the Sabbath, which was the next day, which actually started at sundown, not like in the morning kind of a thing, all right? So this could have been the evening that he was buried, all right? On the next day, that is the day which is after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember that when that deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I am rising. Therefore... Give orders for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the tomb secure with the guard, sealing the stone. All right. What are these guys worried about? The chief priests? The Pharisees, the guys who had Jesus arrested, Pilate, the guy who was the representative of the Roman government who was responsible for the execution. These are all the guys that are responsible for his death. What are they worried about? Okay. The chief priests get together and they say, listen, we got to do something about this. So they go to Pilate and they say, listen, we know that while this deceiver, that deceiver, that guy, that liar, that Jesus guy, we know that while he was alive... One of the things he said that he was, he was going to raise from the dead on the third day. So we got to do something about this. Because what's going to happen is his disciples are going to come along and on the third day, they're going to go steal the body and then they're going to say 
that he raised from the dead. What are they worried about? They're worried about people being deceived about Jesus' resurrection. They're worried about the disciples stealing the body and then deceiving the people and saying he raised from the dead. That's the worst case scenario because what they're saying is, listen, listen, Pilate, if people get wind that Jesus is raised from the dead, that he actually did what he said he was gonna do, there's gonna be some trouble. That's a can of worms that we don't wanna open, okay? So we gotta put a stop to this before it happens. And they're basing this off of the deception, right? They're basing this off of the disciples stealing the body and then saying, lying about it. It's a hoax, okay? That's what they're afraid of. So Pilate says, okay, fine. You've got a, you've got a guard, right? The temple guard. You've got some people. You go make it as secure, as secure as you know how, okay? As secure as you know how. So they went, they sent a guard, they put the tomb, uh, or they sealed the tomb, uh, so that nobody gets in, and more importantly for them, nobody gets out, right? They don't want anything leaving that tomb, so they're going to guard it. All right, pick it back up in Matthew 28, verse 1. Keep reading. We've got a lot, of, a lot of Matthew to read here. Here it is. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. What happened to them? They passed out, right? They were so afraid about what had happened, they became like dead men. Boom, gone, right? To me, that's the scene. As I read this, that's the scene that Mary and, and Mary, and Mary sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Mary, Mary and remarry, Pete and repeat. All right, Mary and remarry, Mary and Mary came up to the tomb to that scene, okay? In my, in, as I read this, this didn't happen while they were there. I think they walked up to it as it like that, okay? The, the angel's sitting on the, the stone, the, the stone, the tomb is like wide open mouth. It's sitting there open and uh, Mary and Mary walk up and there's guards scattered on the floor. How many guards? I'd say a lot of guards. Make it as secure as you can, okay? Got more evidence of that later. So there's guards laying on the ground, empty grave, angels sitting on the top of the stone. And the angel, verse five, and the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here for he has risen just as he said, come see the place where he was lying and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So Listen, he's not here, ladies. He ain't here. He rose, just like he told you he was going to. Now, I want you to go and tell my disciples to go to Galilee, because I'm going to meet him there, all right? So you go. So Mary and Mary head off, right? They're off and they're gone. While they're on their way, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to report the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, rejoice. The Greek word for that also means greetings. So it's like, Hello, surprise, right? Rejoice. And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go bring word to my brothers and leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Now, why did Jesus have to show up to them on the road while they were on their way? The angel told them, said, go see, tell my disciples, right? Go tell them. And they went, they were on their way. Jesus didn't have to show up. He didn't have to tell them to keep going, to encourage them. Jesus wanted them to see him. 
right? I believe that. That Jesus wanted to show up so that they could say, listen, we saw him. He's not just, it's not just a rumor we heard, like we saw him. On the road, he met us. Go to Galilee because you're going to see him too, right? Incredible, incredible thing. Uh, and so they head off then, right? Now, in the meantime, verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, some of the men from the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came at night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and they did as they had been instructed and this story was widely spread among the Jews, and it is to this day, right? So the chief priests and the, the Pharisees had put a sizable guard there at the tomb. Listen, we don't want anybody to come steal this body. So they put the guard. How many is a sizable? I think it's more than two. They said some of the guard went and told the people what happened. So some is more than two. So let's even just say it's three but that's not the whole amount, right? So, how, so a part of the original whole went to the chief priest. So some of the guard went, is it six, seven, eight, nine, ten? 10? How many guards were there? I don't know, right? They all passed out though, I know that. 12. But they put the guard, uh, they put the guard there for one reason. They were worried about a hoax catching uh, catching, getting some feet and running, right? They were worried about this lie that the disciples were gonna, gonna perpetuate, that Jesus is alive. We saw him, right? right? They, they were worried about that. That's the thing that they were worried about. And so they sent these five to 10, however many guards, it doesn't really matter, but they sent them there. They put the stone, they sealed the stone, okay? So I don't know what they seal it with. You could tell it was broken when the seal was broken, whatever, wax, something like that. But they sealed the stone so nobody could do it. And what they come up with when Jesus actually raises from the grave, what they come up with, their best story that they can come up with used to be their worst case scenario. Their worst case scenario was the disciples are going to steal the body and perpetuate this lie. When it actually happens, that becomes their best case scenario. You see that? Tell them the disciples came and stole the body because we can't have this thing as a real thing, right? We can't have the reality of this. That's the story they go with. Five to 10 guards, however many, we fell asleep. We fell asleep and they stole the body while we were asleep. Really? A, a, steel, a, excuse me, a sealed stone big enough to cover the, you just, you just kept snoozing while disciples came and stole the body. That's the story they got, okay? And that's what they... That's the lie they perpetuated to, uh, to the Jewish people, to the people around there, right? And what's interesting to me is that they call Jesus that, that deceiver, right? Who's, who's the deceiver now? They were saying Jesus was the one lying, but now they're the ones lying, okay, about this whole situation. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this deception, the deception if I was a really good preacher, I would say something like, it's a resurrection, ah, deception, ah, right? And then, I'd, and then I'd pat myself down with my handkerchief. But I won't. 
because I guess I'm not a good preacher. All right. But, right? Resurrection deception. The chief priests and the Pharisees called Jesus deceiver, and now they make it up. And now they're the deceivers. But this is what caught my eye in verse 64 as they're talking to Pilate. They go to Pilate, and it says this. They're talking, and they say, His disciples may come and steal him and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. That's what caught my eye. The last deception will be worse than the first. They were more concerned about people being convinced of a resurrected Jesus than they were about a living, breathing, teaching Jesus. You see that? They were more worried because it was a bigger, it would be worse than the first. These are the words out of their mouths. The people who killed Jesus for saying and doing these things and claiming that he was the Messiah, the son of God, the one who saves, they were more concerned about the deception of a resurrection than they were about him living and teaching in the temples. They said it would be worse for, it would be worse. That would be a worse deception than what he was trying to perpetuate while he was living, okay? Now, why would that be? Why would this be such a big deal for them? Why would this deception of the resurrection be a bigger problem for them than the claim that he was the Messiah? It's because if people heard and believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and they would be convinced of that, listen, Jesus, this, this act, this deception, still we're calling it, quote, deception, that they're calling it, that deception, it substantiates, it legitimizes, it, it, it realizes everything that Jesus claimed in life, okay? So these men did not believe that it was possible that he was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was God with skin on, as he claimed. So they did not believe that it was possible for him to raise from the dead. But they knew that some people did believe it. And they knew that some people were on board with who Jesus was and were interested in hearing from him and following him and all that kind of stuff, right? And if the disciples pulled off this hoax where they stole the body and they claimed that Jesus came back from the dead like he said he would, again, that's a bigger problem than they had to begin with because people are believing everything that Jesus said. The resurrection substantiates everything that Jesus claimed, okay? Everything that he claimed. For these priests and these Pharisees, listen, if this word got out that Jesus resurrected, even if he didn't, if this word got out, even if it was just a lie, they knew that Jesus would be more popular in death than he was in life. And they were trying to get rid of him, okay? Their goal was to stop the blasphemer who was offending God and he was taking people with him. That was their goal. We got to stop this. So their goal was to not let this resurrection deception happen. But here's the problem. The problem is that this is no deception. Okay? This is no deception. The disciples had nothing to do with this story. 
There was no thieving of anybody. There was no hoax that took place because what happened was a real resurrection, something they didn't even think was possible. A real resurrection, not a deception. It's the real deal. Never did they ever imagine that it would be possible for Jesus to come back from the dead. Because if they had believed it, they probably would have been on the side of, or not on the side of crucify him, right? They'd have been on the other side of that. They didn't even believe it was a possibility. They were just trying to prevent the deception of disciples stealing the body and the fallout of people believing that deception. Because they knew that people who believed that Jesus raised from the dead lie or not, they knew that it would bring about the exact same reaction that Mary and Mary had when they saw Jesus, right? What'd they do? They fell down and worshiped him. And that was the opposite of what they wanted, right? Whether it was true or not, they knew that if people believed it, it would substantiate everything that Jesus said and it would lead to worship. They would worship him for who he was, okay? That is exactly what they were trying to avoid. But now what they have on their hands is a real resurrection, okay? And that's a problem that they never saw coming. It was a problem for them that is catastrophically bigger than a deception. It's big enough that what they were trying to avoid is what millions of people are celebrating today, 2,000 years later. That's incredible. And it's because the resurrection actually happened, because it is an actual, literal event in time, in history, and people have believed it. Without the resurrection, what? I mean, Jesus was a great guy, right? He was a nice guy. He was a good philosopher. He taught us to treat one another kindly and to love God. Well, well that's great, but how many other philosophers are there that do that exact same thing, right? There's a lot. But the resurrection means that he wasn't just a philosopher. He was not just a man who had some good lessons for humanity and some kindness and, some, and, 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 and lessons about kindness and service and love. And it, it, the resurrection establishes that he meant it. In John 8, when he said, before Abraham was, I am. That's a claim of God, right? He's claiming to be God. When Moses said, uh, God, you know, God was sending him to his people, who, who should I say sent me? He said, tell him, I am sent you. I am. And Jesus claims, said, I am, right? Jesus called himself I am. He's claiming that. When talking with the disciples, and part of, and as he's just having a conversation before all of this happens, Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and all these kind of things. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, in one of his bright moments, steps up and says, listen, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You are the Messiah. To which Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter, because nobody else told you that. That was God. My father revealed that to you confirms it, right? That's who I am. Peter, you're right. That's who I am. When Pilate is, is uh, interrogating Jesus or asking Jesus after he's arrested, he says, so you're the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it's as you say it is. Yeah, that's who I am. 
if the resurrection doesn't happen, all that goes away. Okay? All of those claims go out the window. That's what these men, these people were hoping for by preventing a hoax. But it wasn't a hoax, and the resurrection actually happened. So now all of that is solidified and established and realized. Surely he is the Son of God, right? This is their concern that people are convinced of his resurrection and they will continue to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. They just never thought it would happen in reality. And so the first worst-case scenario now becomes their best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario, it's a lie, and, and people are going to believe it. Best-case scenario now, we'll just tell them it's a lie, and we'll minimize the people believe it, right? The worst-case scenario becomes the best And what I want to tell you this morning is the chief priests and the Pharisees were absolutely correct in being worried that people believing in a resurrected Jesus would mean big problems for religion, for their religion. Absolutely correct in that. That it would be a big problem for them to deal with if the disciples put on this hoax. But you know what's worse for religion than people believing in the lie of a resurrected Jesus? What's worse for religion is people experiencing the truth and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Because see, if the resurrection is a big old hoax that has fooled everyone, I mean, people can, people can believe that, right? People can, can believe a lie, and because they're convinced of those things, then believe in Jesus, absolutely. If the resurrection was just a hoax and people believed it, then they could, they could believe that everything he claimed was substantiated. They could believe that. But I'm not talking about a hoax, and I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about being convinced. I'm talking about experiencing a reality and having your life turned upside down because of it. Experiencing the reality of the resurrection is so much more than just believing Jesus was God. It's more than that. It's more than even just believing he loves you and he died for your sins. It's more than, than believing his teachings and following them and trying to live by them as best as you can. I mean, you can, listen, you can do all of those things I just listed. You can believe that he was God. You can believe uh, that, that he had a great way to live and you should live according to it. You can, you can believe that he loves you if this thing was a hoax. You can believe that, right? If it was a hoax, you could still believe all those things. People do it all the time with other great teachers, okay? Gandhi, Muhammad, Buddha, and they never came back from the dead. So people do it all the time. And I think sometimes a lot of the church is relating to Jesus in that same way, that they relate, that the rest of the world relates to these other great teachers and philosophers. We follow what they taught and we live better lives because of it right? But I'm telling you that this resurrection is not just another detail to believe about Jesus. I'm telling you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality for you to experience. That's because in the resurrection of Jesus, the curse of sin and death 
was broken. In the resurrection, not in the death, in the resurrection of Jesus. In the resurrection, the restoration of humanity was completed. In the resurrection, his work to bring you back into the fullness of relationship that he set out to have with humanity, that was restored in the resurrection. You can't experience those things by following some teachings. You can experience those things only by being born again. The resurrection of Jesus is the mechanism by which you can be born again. The resurrection is what everything hinges on. Everything hinges on it. If you want to experience actual life in him, rather than just converting to a new religion or having new thoughts about uh, the way that life works and shifting your thoughts to new thinking, listen, everything hinges on the reality of the resurrection. The resurrection is for you to experience. Romans 6, 4 says it this way, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. It's for you to experience. Being resurrected is for you to experience. Colossians 2, 12 Paul says, having been buried with him in the baptism in which you also, excuse me, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It's for you to experience, having been raised with him, right? It's for you to experience. Ephesians 2, and I forgot to go back and mark this one. Ephesians 2. Four through six. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just something to believe. It is something for you to experience. The resurrection of Christ was slash is slash will be is your resurrection. You in him resurrected with him. It is the key of the door of new life, if you want to say that. And it opens wide, and he's begging you to walk through it. Would you come into new life with me, he says. Abundant life in Christ is only possible because of the resurrection. And I'm imploring you to experience the freedom of it. Though we were dead in our wrongdoings, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Where is he now? He's in the heavenly places. With him. We're with him. 
right? Raised with him, with him in the heavenly places. So that he might show the boundless riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. Listen, you don't get to experience that without the reality of the resurrection. It cannot just be a metaphorical thing. It's not a metaphor to contemplate, though it's great for that. It's not a detail to learn and believe about him, though it is a fact and it is truth. The resurrection of Jesus is a reality for you and I to experience. Now, if you want to get theological about it and say, okay, well, how does this whole thing work? The act of, or the event of the resurrection is the breaking of the curse of sin, which Adam and Eve brought on humanity, right? It's the breaking of the death, which all humanity walk in outside of Christ. The death of Jesus, the death of Jesus brought about the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins, all right? But that's separate from life. The death of Jesus brought about the forgiveness of sins, but even with sins forgiven, we still walked under that curse. Think about that. There was an annual sacrifice. Every year, an animal died for the forgiveness of the people. There was a function of walking in, under forgiveness and yet not experiencing life, the life that God had created for us. That was a system that worked. According to Hebrews, though, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sin once and for all. No more need for annual sacrifices, right? No more need for annual sacrifices. But is that all Jesus came for? Did he just come to rid us of the need for animal sacrifice every year for our forgiveness? No. Oh, and also to teach us to be nice? No. It's not what he came for. Jesus came to break the curse, to redeem humanity to what God wanted us to be and wanted us to experience when he first created people. And that experience is oneness with him. 2 Corinthians says, he, who, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus accomplished the forgiveness of our sins on the cross, but he came for more than that. He came for us to have life. For us to be made right so we could experience that life. That's what righteousness means, right in being, to be made right. Not right in doing, right in being. He created us to be right in being. And because we're right in being, we see that play out in the right in doing, but right in being. In death, excuse me, in Adam, death reigned. In Jesus, life reigns. What Adam did, Jesus reversed, right? This is what is so good about the gospel. This is the good news. Romans 5, 17. We read it last week and we'll read it again this week. For if by the offense of the one, that's Adam, okay? Adam's offense. For if by the offense of the one, death reigned. 
death reigned through the one. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one. So death came in by Adam. Life comes in by the resurrection of Jesus. He changed it. He fixed it. We get it if we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We're made right. Life in him. The good news isn't that we have a new, better set of teachings to follow or even the best example of somebody who ever lived it. That's not the good news. The good news, it's not even that God forgives us when we mess up. That's part of the good news. It's not the whole good news. The whole good news is that we have life with God. Life in God, eternal life Right now, not far off somewhere that we'll get to eventually. Right now, we've got the good life right now. And it's because of Jesus' finished work on, in his death and in his resurrection. We're living the good life. The good life is a resurrection life. It's a life that is completely impossible on your own, in your own efforts, to be or to do better, got nothing to do with that. It's only by the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And it's something for you and me to experience. We've been moved from death to life when we say yes to Jesus. And it's life right now. So I don't know, maybe you feel like you want to say yes to Jesus, right? Maybe you feel like you've said yes to Jesus, but you're not so sure about this good life thing. And we pray? How about we pray? Can I pray with you individually? I'll pray right now corporately, but I'd love to pray with you individually about what it means to have the good life, even when life's not great. Lord Jesus, would you show us, would you reveal us the truth of that statement that we have the good life because of the resurrection even when things aren't so great. It's still the good life. It's a matter of being blessed, living a life of blessing even when things don't feel like a blessing. It's got nothing to do with the events, everything to do with the resurrection and everything to do with what you've done in us. We're blessed because of it. We're blessed. It's a good life because it's life with you. Lord Jesus, you have been so good to us. We trust you in everything. We love you. Would you show us, God? Would you show us? what a resurrected life is, what it means, what it looks like. Amen.